Good morning. Beautiful morning here in Southern Oregon on this Wednesday. This is Peter John live here on KAPL. Welcome to Rogue Grace. Sorry I haven't gotten back to you on some of your emails from uh, my website, but uh, I'm planning on it, (laughs) hopefully today, later on this afternoon. I also want to write a new little article on it as well, so you can check it out if you want on peterjohncorson.com. And... um, I want to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to to Jesus, to him, and greeted him. Isn't that wonderful? Because in that account, Jesus had just finished what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, his experience there of shining. There was something about him that caused the people down below when he comes down from that mount with Peter, James, and John, something about him caused them to run to him. He shines. Something about him draws us closer to him, makes us want to know him. But contrast that with another guy In fact, he was having the discussion with this guy, Moses, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, along with Elijah, right? And by the way, what else do all three of those guys have in common? Well, they all fasted for 40 days. That'd be tough. But they all three did it. It, That reminds me. What does John the Baptist and not only, okay, that's why I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow. My brain meltdown. There it is. I got it. No, no, I made a recovery. What does John the Baptist and Kermit the Frog have in common? They both have the middle name, the. Now, I don't know how I got on that. Where that comes from in our story. So I'm just going to move on. Okay. So they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is talking to Jesus. Elijah is talking to Jesus. He comes down. He is shining, perhaps. But whether he's shining or not still, that is glowing. Um, Something about him was shining to the point of people ran to him. When Moses experienced his his glory, when he was shining on the mountain, he comes down and people, it says, ran from him. 
out of fear. And the law, which Moses represents in many ways, is beautiful. It shines. But when we recognize how far we have fallen short of being able to keep it or adhere to it, it pushes us away. But Jesus, who kept the law for us, when we see him shine, it draws us closer to him. So I like that in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus comes down the mountain, the mountain where he shined, unlike Moses, who shined on the mountain and comes down and people ran from him. In contrast with that, Jesus is shining comes down the mountain and people run to him. And one of the guys that was running to Jesus was the father of a of a boy who was himself it we read I'll read it to you. The father says to the to the Lord he says to Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked them to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Notice Jesus answered them. So he's talking to his disciples. And he is, as he always does, gently reprimanding them, graciously correcting them. And it says, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So much of our struggles can be traced all the way back to childhood, I bet. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I like this, if you can, isn't that great? The guy says, if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. What a great exchange, right? After they run to Jesus, unlike running from Moses, Jesus experienced has this this conversation with this dad whose son was demon-possessed. Not just sick, not just an epileptic. The Bible goes to say that if 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 someone is has epilepsy or is or is traumatized from a sickness, the Bible will say that. But here it says that this boy was possessed by a demon. And that's why he was acting out the way he was. 
And so his dad comes to Jesus and says, if you can, and Jesus then throws it right, the question right back to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, your translation of that may state that Jesus didn't just ask if you can, but said, if you can believe. But if you do a little research, you'll find that the better manuscripts don't have that word believe. It just simply says, if you can. And then Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. There's the word believe. And the guy says, help my unbelief. Notice, I will believe, but you have to help me out. That is how grace, the grace of God is imparted to us. We believe. But like this man, we say, help my unbelief. I will believe, oh Lord, but you have to help me to believe. You have to help me out. And when you say that, when you pray that, even right now, he hears that prayer. He will answer that prayer and he will help you to believe. That's so powerful that the way I've, we, as we've said often, as the Bible says often, the way that we receive is by faith, right? But even that is a gift of God. So all I have to do is say, Lord, help me to believe. I don't have to somehow curry up the faith. I don't have to somehow manufacture the belief. I simply ask, Lord, help me to believe. And he does, and he will. So, in the meantime, though, the kid still got healed, right? So, I would suggest to you, I'll ask you a question. Who did the believing? Was it the dad? Well, it sounds to me... Here's one way to read the story or the text that the dad didn't believe he wanted to, but he just couldn't. After all, he'd been disappointed by the disciples. They didn't come through for him. And so now he's got some doubts about Jesus. So yet Jesus still heals his son. So who was believing? I would suggest it wasn't the father. We know it wasn't the disciples or the scribes. I suggest it was Jesus himself. The dad, in my reading of the story, had little or no faith, and his son was healed because he was saved by the faith of Jesus. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Literally, by faith, 
Jesus Christ. There's no preposition there, so it can be translated by faith in Jesus Christ, but it can also be translated the faith of Jesus Christ. You are justified, and you are saved, and you are forgiven. They're both true. If you're a Catholic, you might emphasize one of them. If you're a Protestant, you might emphasize the other, but they're both true. It is the faith in Jesus in which now you are saved, and it is the faith of Jesus. How's that? His faithfulness. His authentic faith saves you saves me so he gets all the glory I remember some time ago I was living down in California and uh, I'd often walk to the church I was working at it was not a very long walk it was kind of nice and so um, what I did was one one day um, the guy comes by and says, let me give you a ride. I said, okay. And uh, I was using a skateboard at the time. And so I told him, hey, let me just grab on. So I grabbed on to the back of his truck. And he, we were just kind of joking around. But it ended up being a pretty nice ride. And that's kind of how I see it when it says that we are saved by Jesus's faith. In other words, I just hook on to Jesus. It's not about my faith. It's not about my faithfulness. It's about Jesus's faith, his faithfulness. I'm going to hook on to that. Now, Jesus would say to some that he healed, Your faith has made you whole. True. But like me holding on to that car, they're holding on to Jesus. So what I'm saying is don't have faith in faith. Have faith in Jesus today. Hook on to him, to his grace And even when he says, your faith has made you whole, he's giving them credit for what he has done. For example, in John 21, throw your nets to the other side. So they do, right? So much so that the boat begins to sink and the other boats that were trying to help them begin to sink. And then what does Jesus say to them? Come to shore and bring the fish you have caught. Well, I guess technically they did, but it was Jesus that gave them the fish. And so too, when it comes to this faith, you are saved by faith. Whose faith? Your faith. Yeah, but technically it comes as a gift from him. So if you're lacking faith today, simply latch on to Jesus. Simply say, help my unbelief like that guy with his son did and his son would be healed. Just grab on. How? Take and eat. This is my body. Drink. This is my blood. 
take communion, morning worship here at the church, Sunday when we gather together, or he says, behold, I come in the volume of the book. Latch on through his word. I'm going to say this again um, at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to boast or brag or toot my own horn, but uh, so much of what I read now in the Bible is different than it was, let's say, six months ago. So I'm reading through the Bible, right? And it's, it's, it's fresh. When I say fresh, though, it's lot, not a lot of application. <laughs> and uh, right now I'm reading through the Bible. I've started in Genesis and I'm um, now reading through Ezra. So I, I want to get read through the Bible by the, uh, I don't know, in a, in, a, in a couple weeks, maybe. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying all I'm doing is holding on to Jesus. And it's going to get me to where I'm supposed to be. Just like I did with that skateboard. Just grab on to Jesus and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Just like this guy did. Lord, I, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And his son was healed. Just takes the faith of a mustard seed. Even the faith is a gift that comes from God. Man, I sure do love Jesus, don't you? We'll be right back.
Don't you just love Jesus? And better than that, Jesus loves you. I mean, we looked at it a bit yesterday, but in Jesus's genealogy, in his resume, so to speak, there in the Gospel of Matthew, we read about, surprisingly, five different women are mentioned in the lineage in which usually women are not. It's men in ancient manuscripts and genealogies, but there are five women, five being the number of grace. And that genealogy is really important in those ancient times. It emphasized who you were. It was your family your resume. That's how people knew who you were. And so it is a wonderful thing that Jesus has chosen in his genealogy to include women like not just Mary. Okay. That's one thing in our, from our point of view, but also Tamar, Rahab, the Gentile Ruth, and what Matthew refers to as Uriah's wife. Now, not, he's not slamming on Bathsheba there when he calls her Uriah's wife. It's more of a slam on David. You took Uriah's wife. And that would be what would be the irony and the grace that's found there is Uriah's wife is mentioned there next to David. David would seem to have been the shining example. And he was a man after God's heart, special, no doubt. But that would be who, if that was in my resume, I would be so proud of. I'd want to show off. Yet in Jesus's resume, not only is David there, but so is Uriah's wife. There in Matthew chapter one. So his resume, his genealogy had something unheard of, and that would be women. And I just listed for you those four women. And Jesus, if you would, owns them. That is, he takes ownership of them. In other words, he's proud to say, these are my mother's. He's proud to say about you and I, these are my brothers, my sisters. Um, remember that song by old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra? Here goes my memory again. He's called Blue Eyes, right? Right, okay, thanks. I'm so glad I got help. Uh, Frank Sinatra, he, remember the song, I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn, and a, th and a king. <laughs> we all can say that. I have my ups and my downs. So whether you're right now a 
a king or a pauper, whether you're a poet or a puppet, you need his grace. Here, let me put it to you like this. Grace, the grace of God, grace is needed by the best of us. Grace does not exclude the worst of us. Can I say that again? Grace is needed by the best of us. Grace does not exclude the worst of us. And by us, I mean me. Grace is needed by the best in me. And the same thing is grace does not exclude the worst in me. Wow. In fact, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And all those ladies that I mentioned, Tamar, who slept with, as a prostitute, slept with Judah, Rahab, who ran a brothel, Ruth, a Moabitess, not even a Jew, Uriah's wife, who slept with David. What a line, Jesus. All these women, though, were looking for Jesus. Even in the midst of their sin, when Tamar gave birth to the twins that she conceived, she put a scarlet bracelet around the elder one, the first one. Rahab, what did she use? A scarlet cord out of her window to be saved when Jericho went down. Ruth, yeah, she was looking for a redeemer. And David's wife married to David with the promise that her son Solomon would have a throne that would forever remain. She knew that ultimately the Messiah would come through her lineage. Praise be to Jesus. As far as I'm feeling, uh, you know, you're getting some of the hiccups in my memory. Got my notebook here, so going by that. Um, feeling pretty good. I'm going to see a doctor tomorrow, a brain surgeon, doctor, whoever. So you can keep me in your prayers. Do you have anything you need to pray for? Give me an email. Um, you can go to my website and there's a place to hit an email. I'd love to get your prayer requests if you have some, something you need prayer for, because I can relate. We'll be right back. It's all you get. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me, nor make unto thee any graven image. You're not to worship God any way you wish, carving up an image. <laughs> right? That's what he was declaring. And I think that that same commandment, we're not under the law. Make no mistake about it. However, his law is written on our hearts. And that commandment needs to be heeded by our culture because it is being broken. You can't just make an image of God. Well, I like to think of God as, or I imagine God to be, well, it has nothing whatsoever to do with how you think of God or imagine God to be. No matter what it is, it will be an incomplete representation of who he is. It, you, therefore, it will be a distortion in spite of your or my best effort. So that's why in Deuteronomy, Moses was reminiscing how God spoke to him. But God came to him, not with, he says, quote, no form, only a voice. God still reveals himself through his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we don't make God in our image. We are made in his image. And therefore, so often if you are going away from the image that the word of God, the Bible declares him to be, He's not going to fit into your image. As J.B. Phillips said, if God were small enough to understand, he would not be big enough to worship. Even if you got it part, partially correct, it, won't, it will conceal his image more than reveal his image. I mean, what do you do? Say you, you make an image of God, right? Whatever your image is. Let's say you draw it out. Do you draw him with a frown? Well, that doesn't show his grace. Do you draw him with a grin? That doesn't show his wrath. There was a, a preacher by the name of Tom Skinner who preached in New York. And good guy, he was an African-American. And he grew up in a, a church of African-Americans back in the day, you know, back in the 50s or 60s. And he said, it always got to me, it always bothered me whenever I saw a picture of Jesus in church as this guy with blue eyes, you know, wavy hair, soft face, very Caucasian. He didn't say very Caucasian, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Not Semitic at all, right? That, that picture of Jesus that he always saw. He says, and, uh, and one day I told 
my friends that I was sitting with, that guy, and I pointed to the picture of Jesus. He wouldn't last 10 minutes in my neighborhood. So true. You can't even, we're not given pictures of Jesus. I'm not saying never have a picture of Jesus. It's not my point. Jesus, that God will not fit into your image. So you can imagine God to be whatever you want. All of it will fail. Maybe some people imagine God to be like Santa Claus or their pastor or their, an eagle or the sun. All of it falls short. And even while Moses was getting that commandment, make no image, right? Thou shalt have no graven image. No image of God is to be created. No carving of an image. Why? Because you're not going to get it right. Even as he was getting that, what were they doing down at the bottom of the mountain? Dancing around a golden calf. That was their image of God. <laughs> a bunch of bull, if you ask me. Now, let me conclude by saying, I don't blame God for making that commandment. Because after all, don't you say, or at least think, at least to a certain extent, when you're, let's say you're single and you're dating somebody and you're getting serious, or you ask a woman to marry you. Don't you, at least in the back of your mind, say or think, please love me, not for who you want me to be, but for who I am. That's what God is saying. Don't love me for how you want me to be. Love me for who I am. I am that I am. So, even relationship experts will tell you the most unhealthy thing a person can do is adamantly believe something about another person. Contrary to what the other person has gone great lengths to reveal themselves to be. You're believing something adamantly about something about someone that is not part of who they are, but you want it so badly. So in many ways, they will say, the experts, you're married to a mental image, not a spouse. That's how I think it is with God. People are married to a mental image. God says, make no graven image. Don't have a mental image. Read my word. I mean, what if you are talking to a friend or a coworker and you they're saying, you know, I'm um I'm a Democrat during this election season, right? And you say, I, I know you said you're a Democrat, but I like to think of you as a Republican. They're not gonna appreciate that, are they? Well, how much more with God? Love him for who he is, he is worthy of our praise. Read his word, take communion, worship him. Don't have a, an image of God that you've come up with. Read his word. Right? I'm talking to myself. We'll be right back.
let me read to you a quick little paragraph. This is from It Is Finished. That's the book I wrote, but I don't remember anything. So it's all new to me as well. Your problem is that you try too hard. Those were the words spoken to me by my friend in St. Louis, Missouri. Upon saying, I do, my wife and I packed our wedding gifts and moved to the Midwest to plant a church. Without knowing a single person when we got there, after two years, the church we had planted had grown to about 150 people. However, we were exhausted. My wife had already suffered a miscarriage and I was recovering from a brutal surgery. At the same time I was recovering, our first daughter Bailey was born to us. We decided it was time for us to move back to the Northwest and get our feet back under us again. I called the leaders of the church together to tell them I was going I was going and to get another man to become the pastor. Sorry, I read that wrong. I called the leaders of the church together to tell them I would be going and another man would be coming to pastor there. It was during that meeting my friend, older than I, had tears welling up in his eyes and told me that my problem was that I was trying too hard. 17 years, four children, three churches, two surgeries, and one bruised ego later, I look back and see how right his words were. <laughs> my Crohn's disease has allowed, no, forced me not to, quote, try too hard. In fact, through my illness, I have found that the secret to life is just that, resting in the finished work of the cross. Just as Yoda had wisely told young Luke Skywalker, you do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> My friend's advice not to try too hard falls very much under the principle of resting in the finished work of the cross. Through it is finished. We do not try to be righteous or try to be justified. We rest in the fact that we already are. All right, let's go old, old, old school here. We'll finish up right after this song from Sweet Comfort Band.
Okay, so Scott Matson is uh, waving his uh, his cell phone with the light on. Yeah, like we're in concert there, old school. Yeah, going back to nineteen whatever seventy, right? Something like that. So, I need to keep my dad happy, so I put that song on. Just kidding. He doesn't even. <laughs> I don't know if he's even. <laughs> I'm just totally kidding about that. But anyways, um, I like that song. That's why I put it on. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. May May you come out to church tonight and receive the word of God. And may the grace of Jesus Christ keep you, strengthen you, and bless you because he cried, it is finished. Now may you find rest at the foot of the cross. He gets the credit. He receives glory. And may you receive his blessing and his peace, his shalom. See you tonight. Thanks for tuning in.